Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Mosca with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for everyone. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Joining me this week, I am in Valencia, California, sitting in the Bruin-filled classroom of head Valencia football coach Larry Muir. 127 career wins. You've been here at Valencia 23 years, 15 as the head coach. Larry, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. We're going to have a good time yes, today. Yes, we are. Definitely. You've already complained that I made you turn the air conditioning off. Yes. but. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Yes. Uh, you played, graduated at, from Alamany High School. Then you played football at UCLA under Terry Donahue. Walk me through how you got from Alamany to UCLA. So uh, at Alamany, um, I played, played football at Alamany. I had a great experience uh, with high school football there, and we had a great uh, uh, program there. Uh, Enrique Lopez, my senior year, was my head football coach, and so he was the athletic director of Valencia when, when I got hired as head coach here, and I got hired on here. Um, after Alamany, I, I had gone to Cal State Northridge for my first year, and I had lasted there only a, a few weeks, and, and I ended up not playing and just going to school that year. Uh, one thing led to another um, where I knew I had to kind of pay for my education and, and get back into football. And so I transferred to LA Valley Junior College, um, transferred to uh, LA Valley, played there for two years, went to school there and did pretty well there. And, and we met some great people and great coaches. Chuck Ferrer was a great coach um, at, at Valley College. And then what Chuck knew, played football at UCLA with Terry Donahue. So I ended up um, being a walk-on at UCLA because uh, Chuck had a relationship with uh, Terry Donahue. But I, you know, I was a guy that worked really hard and, and, you know, tireless worker and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, um, had a good GPA and everything else. So I was a good candidate as a walk-on at UCLA. So that was my dream. I it was to get to UCLA. That was like a, a, almost an impossible dream for me. Um, but I remember when I was in high school, I went, I wanted to buy a UCLA sweatshirt. And I went onto their campus and they were practicing for a bowl game in like 1983 or 84 or something like that. And I remember watching them practice and like my dream was to get to UCLA. So I was able to get to UCLA. That was a big, that was a big moment for me. And playing for Terry Donahue, being around that program, whether you play or not, whether you're a starter or not, you're there absorbing so much. You're seeing how things are done, how coaches work. Did that influence you to get into coaching? Huge influence. Um, one of the um, I, a couple of things I took away from UCLA. There was there was three main things for me. One was, you know, I was a, a, a two way player in high school. Um, you know, when I was at Valley College, I was like the defensive MVP and all that kind of stuff. But the great thing at UCLA for me was I was a walk on, and I was you know you're, as a walk on you're you're on the bottom. You're not a recruited guy and all that kind of stuff. But for me, that was great because I got the feel of it from both ends. I was a, a, a good player in high school and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you're the guy to, I wasn't the guy, but that was great in terms of my coaching. And I knew how, how coaches treated me, whether I was a, a, a starter or a walk on that all of us were important. And that as, for me as a coach, that every kid that in my programs is important. And I want to coach from whether you're the number one kid or the 60th kid, 
you got to coach every single one of them and you've got to treat them uh, like they're, they're, they're an important part of their program because they are. So I, I learned that because I was a walk on at UCLA. That was big for me. Uh, from Terry Donahue, a big thing for me, I thought I, I always, what always stuck with me was A, that he was so intense and he worked so hard. But to me, he was always first class. He was a first class guy. Like in everything we did, when we were practicing, uh, when we were um, uh, off the field, when we had meetings, he was always first class. He was always professional. He was always, there wasn't a moment where, you know, we had this thing, you know, we say, uh, you know, excellence doesn't take a day off. Like that was him. Excellence didn't take a day off with him. He was, he was excellent all the time. And I think as my influence as a coach, though, I thought my, one of my biggest influences was a guy named Homer Smith. Uh, Homer Smith was the offense coordinator in my senior year. And I was a scout team uh, guy on the, on the defense. And when I was running the scout team, I, I'd watch Homer Smith coach. And I was fascinated by the way he coached. He was absolutely brilliant guy. And he broke things down. And the way he talked to players, the way he coached players, I always, like, was like, wow. Like, that guy is – he was – he was um, – um, his influence on players, you could, it was, it was, um, you could see it, you could feel it. Like, um, it was amazing what he could do with a group of guys. And, uh, so that made a big impl- influence on me as well. Um, so when you kind of put those things together in terms of my football experience, that was, that was big for me to get into teaching and coaching. Then you come here to Valencia high school and you're hired on as a coach and a teacher and you're working with Brian Steinman and the school opened, I believe, 98, 1994, 94. What was it like being part of building a, a program from the ground up? A lot of guys nowadays, they go into a program, they take over a program that's been established. But you guys got to build this thing. You coming in as a young guy, Brian Steinman, having a lot of experience being at Canyon and, and, and being around the game a lot. How did you guys build it? You know, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was, it, was, it was a lot of I tell you, it was, I mean, it was a lot of work and it was a lot of sacrifice. We, when I first got here, uh, when they first opened up the school, it was freshmen and sophomores. And a lot of those kids, you know, the reality was if it was open enrollment, but if you were a starter at heart or a starter at Canyon, you're not coming to Valencia. If you're maybe the third or fourth stringer, maybe you might come to, to Valencia because it was an opportunity. So a lot of the kids that were coming were, were, weren't your, really high end players. And so um, we were, I think I would say that probably the biggest thing was we were establishing, I think uh, uh, almost a work ethic. I think uh, of, we knew we weren't going to be the most talented. So we're, we're going to have to work. Like we are going to have to work and, and kind of put our nose down and just kind of work, work, work. And I know that's kind of, you know, uh, cliche and all that stuff, but like we knew that that was our early, that was going to have to be our, our, we're going to have to hold ourselves on. Um, and at the same time as we were working, I think we were, we knew we were going to have to be patient too, as we went, I think um, it was going to happen overnight. It was going to take some years to kind of develop uh, the expectations of, of how we were going to work and things that we're going to do in the weight room and how important the weight room is going to be. And um, I think that was early on a, a big deal for us was like to establish the weight room because over time in the off season, you spend so much time, you think about it, you spend so much time, from January to spring ball in the weight room, that's a whole bunch of time. Then you spend all this time in spring ball. And then you spend all, your whole summer fall camp. And all of a sudden you play one game on a Friday night for like two hours or whatever. 
and you did all this preparation for you, you practice so much more than you just play a game that that was going to have to be really, really important of how we we're going to like break that down and, and um, make our kids, you know, believe in what they were doing. Um, that was, I think that was the biggest thing was developing the work, work ethic, kind of establishing that. And then as, as players were coming in, it was going to be, you know, if they, if you have really good players that are working hard then obviously you're going to have some really good things happen. And at what point did you see it turning around? Did you guys realize, hey, we're we're on the right track here? There was no doubt. The guy that really changed our program, there's no doubt, was Manny White. Manny, when Manny White came, he was a different guy than than what we had had. And Manuel, um, I, his freshman, I can't remember what it was. It's been too many years now. Freshman or sophomore year, I can't remember what it was. Freshman year? We played a game at Highland High School, and we ended up losing the game. But I'll never forget, we were all, you know, we were all bummed and discouraged. It was a tight game, and we lost by seven points. And I remember uh, talking to Steinman after the game. We were all kind of bummed. And, 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 but I said, you know what, though? And I remember watching Manuel walk off the field. And I said, hey, we got that guy. Like, he was a guy that we could build on and we could build around. And that's what, that's what I think early what we did was we built around him. And, and the offense was kind of predicated a lot on, on what he could do. And he was so, so uh, such a great player. So um, that's what kind of elevated us to where we were kind of a, a program looking for respect to like you had to respect us because otherwise Manuel was going to run all over you and we were going to uh, score some points and then we were kind of trying to develop the, de- the defense and stuff. And so we were, we went with him. We, we went, became a, like a playoff type team. And once he was here and people saw you getting, getting some ink in the newspaper, you know, winning, winning some more games, did that help you guys draw more kids? Did, did more kids say, uh, wow, there's that new school over there in, on, in Valencia. I want to go there. I think, well, I think it was more that the kids that were here were going to stay here. I think that was the big thing. I think um, uh, that was a big thing for us, that the kids that were good players here, that they're not going to look to go somewhere else. I think that, that was the big thing for us. Uh, we were able to keep those guys here. And as, don't kid you, like a lot of that too, you got to remember too, was, was as the school opened, this community was growing. Like when, when it opened, none of this was here. The, the, the road out front was, um, it ended at our school. And I remember the kids would go take their cars and mud womp and go in the dirt and get stuck in the dirt because there was nothing there. Now it's all roads and houses and, and stores and everything else. So all this development happened as our school was growing. So as the community grew, we grew. So we got more kids in here. Our population got bigger, more players, all that kind of stuff. So it was just a matter of as the community grew, we, we grew. Now, over the years, for you, what has changed with Larry? What have you learned over the years as a coach? You go back to, say, your first year, and now, what's the biggest change that you've seen with you? Man, that's a, that's a big question. That's a loaded question. I think, um, I, think, I think as a coach, in something like football, which is very routine-based and it's very um, – you're, you're trying to establish your culture um, in your program. And I've always been a blue collar guy. Uh, my dad was a construction worker. My mom carried the mail. That's who we were. We were just people that worked. And that's why I knew that was ingrained in who I was. I always knew that. I think it's all the intangible things that you've got, you're looking for as a coach. Like what kind of system you're going to have, what kind of offensive system you have, defensive system and, and everything else that goes along with it. How are you going to lift your weights? How are you going to, how's that going to fit into based on how your offense is, does your weight program complement what you do on the field? 
does, um, how much discipline do you have in your program? What does that look like? Um, is it better that the kids discipline themselves um, and develop it that way? Or, you know, am I going to have a heavy hand in, in this? Um, you, as you go, when you started, when I started back in 2005 as the head coach, um, I was trying to figure all that stuff out. And I was, and I thought I knew what I was doing, but it took a lot of bumps in the road to get me to where I feel like I have a system. I know what it, what a good football team looks like. I know what you've got to do to prepare a football team for the season. Um, and when you're going into the season, like what is, uh, uh, where your football should, football team should be going into fall camp. And then when you come out of fall camp, you know, that game one, wh what should, what should we be like? What's our, mentality and what uh, what should we be able to do well or not do well um i've learned that stuff over the years and so i think um i think more than anything is when you're when you first start out you're kind of blind to you practice you practice but are your kids really ready are they really ready for that game one or are you or or are you fooling yourself you think you, you're ready because you've practiced but are they really are they really, are they really are they tough enough are they do they can they handle adversity can they can you make them competitive enough? Or um, when you define, like someone says, oh, well, you got to play hard or go home or, or play hard. Or what, what does play hard look like? Like, because everybody sees it differently. Like I see it different than, than you might see it. Yeah. So um, when I see it or I don't see it on the field, man, I, I lose my mind on what if we're not playing hard or because um, I know how it's what it's supposed to look like. Maybe I did it a long time ago. Does that factor into your non-league scheduling? Like, hey, you know, I'm going to maybe schedule somebody that I know I can build confidence with a team early, you know, that game one, game two, maybe week zero? I think scheduling is, is hard because I think scheduling is a, is a science a little bit in terms of you're right. You want to, based on what team you have, how you project your team to be, you know, what do they need confidence early? And it needs to build up to something, or is it a team that's that's pretty darn talented and or, or has some good chemistry and you got some good stuff there? Do they need to be challenged early? So uh, sometimes you have teams that they need a challenge early, so that if they know how they have a, have a challenge, then in July, June, and July, August they're going to work harder because they know like out of the gate we got whatever Loyola so, Centennial, exactly. yeah. Exactly. If you, you know you're coming out of the gate, get somebody. Hey man, you better be ready to go. Otherwise, you're going to get look really bad. Uh, some teams though aren't ready for a, a Loyola or Centennial when you come out of the gate. You better be, you better like you know build up to it a little bit. Um, so like you look at our non-league schedule this year, we were um, we had some a um, little bit more uh, games early on that we were kind of looking to see what we had and, and that kind of stuff. But you look at our games three, four, and five. We had uh, Sierra Canyon, Loyola, and um, Calabasas, which were three. It was a rough rough stretch, but we learned a lot about ourselves in that stretch too. So that was really good. Yeah. Everyone you, you've been here a while. Everybody talks about all the heart quarterbacks and for, for good reason, some phenomenal guys throughout the years, but you've had your share of pretty good quarterbacks too. They haven't been the biggest, they haven't been the fastest, but they fit your system. Guys like, you know, Alex Bishop, Sean Murphy, Graham Wilbert, Jake, uh, Solly Wallace. How were you able to take them and, and fit them into your system and give them what they needed? Um, I think that's the, the, the great thing about our, I think our offense is, is the flexibility. Because you're right, you're, every, quarterback, every quarterback you named are so unique. Um, there's not a cookie-cutter uh, quarterback. And so they're all going to have their own strengths, and they're all going to be uh, different. 
um, you know, when I first became the offensive coordinator in 2003, it, I, it's a, it's like, uh, I played, a, I played guard and linebacker. When I was in college, I was a linebacker. And um, I thought though, as a, as a defensive coach, um, and I was defensive coordinator for the longest time that it prepared me for offense to coach an offense because I always went up against offense. I always like I had to break down offenses and, and what their strengths and weaknesses were and what they're trying to do and how they were doing it and all that stuff. And I was a student in the game. So I was, I felt really confident in what we we're doing. So when I moved the, made the move over to offense and, uh, uh, and I'm not gonna lie to you, like a lot of stuff we were doing, we were, we were, uh, copying a lot of stuff from Hart and, and stuff. And so, um, when I went over the offense, though, the one position that I hadn't coached was quarterback. And in learning what a unique position that is, that, that you're going to put the ball in his hands every single down, and his decision-making is going to be the difference of whether this offense is going or it's not based on his decision-making. And so the decision-making is, is the thing, but all the intangibles of it, if he's tall, he's got a great arm, if he's short, if he's athletic, non-athletic, whatever – those are the intangible things you got to make fit in your offense and you better make sure your offensive system can, can handle that. So we have, if we have a tall unathletic guy, then, but he's got a good arm, then, then you've got to be able to do certain things. If, if, uh, and you've got to be able to uh, cover yourself on how your blocking schemes work on, on that. If you've got this more athletic guy, maybe doesn't have as strong as arm, but he's really athletic and move around, then your blocking schemes better, better change and fit him and what you're doing better fit him. So, um, you've got to have flexibility. Like in high school football, I can't have just an offense and this is what we're going to do. Um, over the years, we've learned that, you know, there's times where our spread offense gets, we get into trouble and we'll move into a, um, a tighter formation. And we've got like three or four formations that we get into. We kind of unbalance things or make it look a little different and teams got to prepare for that. But it, we ask our quarterbacks to do different things now. And so, um, yeah, I think it's uh They've all been great quarterbacks. You know, like the first year I was going back to, I'm sorry, it was in 2003, I took over and I had Michael Herrick. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Like he ends up being, at that time, he was the state uh, passing leader. He had like over 10,000 yards or whatever it was, uh, over 10,000 yards and breaks the state state record. With a, his offensive coordinator had never coached an offense before or never been a quarterback coach before. And yet we were able to do that. That shows you how talented he was. But thank goodness I had a, like a talented guy like that. So I was able to kind of learn on the fly uh, and um, put him in positions where he, he could be successful. And then after him, I had Graham Wilbur. Now, Graham was 6'5", not as mobile, <clears throat> a little bit more raw. And uh, his throwing motion was a little bit more raw, but he still, like, he was 6'5", and could throw it. So yeah. I, had, I knew I had to change it a little bit. And then um, eventually Dominic Solly, who was, I don't know, 5'. Maybe 5'10", at the maybe, most. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah. and he, but he was a baseball player. He was a gutsy guy. I didn't have the greatest arm, but he was he worked on all guts and he was all about just just I'm gonna will it to happen kind of deal. So um you gotta you gotta be flexible. You have to be. And you gotta be able to look at your guys and, and look what you have and then be able to adjust to it. And when you came into the league, obviously Hart was dominating. Canyon was pretty good. The rivalry used to be Hart Canyon. Even when Hart was Foothill League, Canyon was Golden League. That first game every year, they play at COC with 10,000 people. Canyon a little bit down now. Is the rivalry in the Foothill League now, Hart Valencia? For us, it definitely is. You know, it's so funny because early, we wanted to be Hart's rival, and we were trying to be Hart's rival. But I remember somebody had said it, like, you can't be a rival until you beat us. And But we took that to heart. 
and we, we want like hard at that time was on top. And so we were trying to like, Hey, get noticed or get the respect or whatever it was. And we were going, and we were getting, we were getting pushed down and we were getting beat uh, year after year. And um, it wasn't until that we beat them. And then we, I felt like then, there, then there was, there was a rivalry, but we were trying to pick a rivalry with them, but they still heart Canyon has been out here. It's been so uh, uh, all the years and all the great players and, the community has always been Heart Canyon and all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure Heart Canyon has its own thing, but I like to think that Heart Valencia has become something special. You know, this year we ended up um, went in on the last field, you know, second field goal and all that kind of stuff. And so um, they've been. We've had some great, great games with Heart. Even when one team's had success, they've it's it's been a fight kind of deal. So um, not a lot of blowouts in the rivalry. Just good. Good hard good, football good hard football, and, and they know us, and we know them. So it's hard for either side to really get up one up on on each other because because they know us so well. They like, and and we know them well. So you're not going to trick hard. Right. You're not going to. They're not going to trick up. Like you're going to have to like figure out. Like you're going to grind it. You're going to have to like will it to happen almost kind of deal. And when you look at the coaching staffs, Mike Harrington has been around for a long time there's nothing mike hasn't seen correct and and you've been around a long time and the offenses are very similar and it's kind of one of those things you we know copy, we copied them well and dean harrington was on my podcast last week and he was saying you know until kyle bauer gave larry near my playbook and yeah which happened purely by chance by the way i'm sure it did yeah, yeah. It, but you know what when you look at what teams do and you think wow that that looks good that that's a successful way of doing yeah. things you know what i think it's the ultimate compliment to take something that somebody else does yes and 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 i've seen over the years of, of things that we've kind of done that, that other people have copied as well so uh, i think on both sides i think um there's not nothing more uh, i think respectful uh, for us as to copy somebody and, and in football like football is about copying. Like everybody copies everybody. Like some people have some original thoughts, but man, as soon as somebody does something, everybody's copying it. And especially if somebody's being successful, if someone's winning, running, you know, uh, the, the Wildcat, the Wildcat, back, Remember back the Wildcat was taken off, and um, a guy that's up Oklahoma now, and the guy that's the Rams, um, yeah, they're doing kind of different things, and people are like, they want to do what they're doing if they're having success. So um, they Hart had unbelievable success there in the nineties and the early two thousands and stuff. And so you're like, okay, well, what are they doing? Like, what's, uh, what are they doing that, that is being successful? And then it helped us on two levels. It helps you because obviously you're kind of developing a system, but at the same time, we were now practicing against what, if our offense went against our defense, essentially then our defense all summer was practicing against Hart's offense. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a twofold effect. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was it, it helped us a lot that way. Now, years ago, the district had open enrollment, and and some schools benefited from that. And you guys get a lot of grief for having that so-called Palmdale pipeline. <laughs> now, to my knowledge, and and I I could be wrong, it's basically only three kids: JJ and Javon Wilson, and Mikhail Wright. JJ obviously impactful player. Javon, yeah. Mikhail played one year here, but nobody looks at the kids you guys lost. Michael Pittman, receiver at USC, was a freshman yeah. here. I, yeah. What could you have done with him? But nobody wants to say, well, hey, you know, they lose kids too. Right. And obviously people talk about that all the time. And, and there were kids that, that we had a good program. So people 
kids wanted to come to this program. But at the same time, we were losing kids at the same time. We, there was one year we had lost like five or six kids that transferred to, to Oates Christian, to Alamany, to um, there was a school down in LA that uh, two of my kids ended up going to. Cathedral? No, it was, uh, it was in LA Unified. I forgot what it was. Narbonne. No. Nope. Um, it was like the big school for a while there. And then they, then they disbanded it um, or they got, they, they, a lot of the coaches left. I forgot what it was. Hawkins. Hawkins. Um, and so, uh, especially with all the seven on seven teams are out there now and all that kind of stuff and everything that goes along with all that stuff, you know, um, there's, the reality is there's been a shift in power from whether you're a district or a coach or, or a principal or school, that there's a shift in power to the, to the parents. And if the parents get empowered on, Hey, I want my kid at the best school or the best football team or the best band or the best math program or the best whatever today's the way it kind of works today they're gonna they're gonna hunt that out because they want that for the kid like i get it uh but um so you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of movement that way and it's just a reality through public schools or private schools and how districts do it and all that kind of stuff um it's just the the other the other other part of that is though with football now is with all the seven on seven teams and everything that's going on in, in the off season, there's a shift every direction with kids. All of a sudden, if kids, some kid has successful is successful at a school, man, there's like four kids, four schools wanting them to come to their school. Like, Hey, why don't you come to modern day? Why don't you come to, uh, uh, wherever like it, and I don't I just said modern day just to say it, but like it, it's, it's, it's gotten where it's like, out of control. It, it is. Yeah. It is. This, now the seven on seven stuff, Years ago, you would have, you know, a couple of seven-on-sevens with, you know, the school down the street. But now, it's a business. And, and I talked to Dean Harrington about it last week. And as a quarterback guy, Dean said he hates it. What do you think about it? Uh, it's, it's, it's not good. It, it's, unfortunately, somebody somehow, some way figured out there was money in it. When people figure out there's money in it, then people get attached to it. And somebody, somehow, some way figured out there was money in it. I always thought that there was no way there would be money in it or a way to for it have credibility because it's not football. It's not, it's not a shoulder pads and helmet. And it's not, you're not playing football in May or April or February now or whatever. But the reality is somebody figured out a way to put money into it and get money out of it. And when you get money into it, you've got people jumping into it and it's become uh, unfortunately, people think it's 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 everything. It's what it's supposed to, you know. It, it's changed it dramatically. And the and the the way, uh, you know, seven on seven used to be unique. Now it's everybody plays seven on seven. Like everybody plays seven on seven, and it's 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 uh, not real football. It's kind of like playing no, three on three basketball. No, it, it's the thing. Like it's not. You're not. You can you can run across the middle in seven on seven, and you know someone's going to touch you off, and and it's okay. Like. No, it's not going to happen in, in pads and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, I, I don't know. And, and you throw linemen in and, and quarterbacks feel good. Like, you know, the quarterbacks don't take drops and, and the reads, they just sit back there and just kind of chuck the ball around. And like, it's not like that in, in, in a real in, game, in a real game with blitzing. And you got to deal with the six, four DN over here. That's coming at you and a 300 pound tackle is coming at you. And, and, um, and the mix, like, it, yeah, it's just, uh, uh, I don't know. But like you said, money, parent, it, it, but, just, but, it pollutes it. And it's it's a shame because kids get this false sense of 
of how good I am. Mm -hmm. And then when you get out into a real game and you get hit and then you, you don't catch the ball, it's not like I just got touched. Yeah. And, 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 and I do believe, I really do believe there is a place for it. I do think that there is, there is good at it because you could teach timing between yeah. quarterback and, and receivers and you could teach route running and you could teach. So there is a lot of great stuff with it. That's why all high school teams do it in the summer. Like it, it, it there is a lot of good stuff with it. But uh, does it get overplayed to the point where now, you know, every 7-on-7 team is, you know, you, you put you attach college recruiting onto it and, and they go to, to you know, trips and we got to go visit this school or that school and, and all that kind of stuff. And now it becomes, is it more about that stuff? And are you really teaching stuff? I don't know. It's just, there's a lot, a lot of goes on. Do you like the 11-on-11s that, that people are doing now? For us, that's that's where we've gone. We, we really enjoy that. Um, we get a lot out of that. You get the linemen in there and you get a lot more, uh, at least a, a closer idea of football. It's still not football, but you're at least you're getting a little bit better idea of, of linemen in there and, and, and um, different looks with the linemen and stuff like that. So it's, that's been good. Now your marital situation is an interesting one. Not many people have wives that are division one athletic coaches that are, better coaches. That, are that are that, well, that know more than we do that, are are smarter than we are, but they've been around it a lot. Your wife Pam is at UCLA. She's very involved with your program. You guys have a leadership thing here that that I guess she does that mm -hmm. you do, where you bring kids together. Walk me through how that got started, and what exactly is it? And how much does it benefit the football program here? Um, it's been awesome. It, it, it truly has been a. Um... For me, it's been obviously it's been just awesome to, to learn from her and work with her and on that level. But uh, what happened was years ago when I took over, I, I remember very instinctively I, we were I can't remember who we were playing, but I remember sending them up to the say, hey, you guys go up for the coin toss, and they were going up for the coin toss, and I remember they were like very excited for the coin toss, and they were they were going to walk out on the field, and they're going to hold hands, and they were going to um, go do the coin toss, and it was almost like. Um, their big moment was the coin toss. Like their vision of what leadership was, was I'm the guy that that goes out in the stadium before everybody else. And, you know, we're going to be holding hands. We're going to be walking out on the, on the 50 yard line and shaking hands with them and doing all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking to myself like that, you couldn't be more farther from leadership than that. And we had struggled with some leadership stuff. And so I said, you know, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to talk leadership and we're going to, we're going to um, teach leadership and we're going to, um, explore leadership and we're going to really get into it and uh my wife pam and she was at at, at heart and won cif uh a title and won the state playoffs and and goes to ucla has been in sweet 16s and elite eights and all that kind of stuff that um she there's no nobody knows more about leadership than she does in terms of um how people come together and what's the secret sauce that when people come together that that, that drives success and drives them to go in the right direction. So I asked her to, to kind of, you know, take it over and wasn't going to be my thing. It's, it's been her thing and it's always been her deal. And, and um, I think for me, the biggest thing to me, just kind of watching it happen is um, I think she instills, she empowers them as leaders. And I think that's one of the most important things when you empower people, you empower young people. And obviously you're, you're sending the right message about character and about doing the right thing and all that kind of stuff and make sure that our kids are, are caring more about each other uh, than themselves and things like that, you're going to get great results. That's when you're going to get guys 
we have a saying here that you don't play for you, you play for the guy next to you. It's not about you, it's about the guy next to you. Well, it's about caring about the guy next to you. And, it, and caring about him means anything from, hey, after practice, do you have a ride home? To, uh, hey, you, you, do you have a lunch day? You, know, you don't have a lunch day here, it's half my sandwich. Or, or hey. Um, here are the answers to Coach Muir's social studies <laughs> test. <laughs> uh, to, um, to, hey, I got a block. I, I, I'm the right tackle and I got to block that defensive end for my quarterback because it's important because I care about him. Or if I'm the quarterback, I got to make the right read and I got to be prepared to make the right read and throw the right ball because my right tackle is playing, uh, uh, playing hard for me. Um, um, if I'm the receiver, I got I have to run my route for my quarterback because my court, if I don't, my quarterback's going to get drilled by the blitzing linebacker. And I better get open. I better get open fast. Like everything's tied to each other. And the more you get them to understand that and, and you empower them in doing that, then I think you're going to get better results. How did the team, the, the, that first group, take me back to that first time they met and they see the coach's wife is going to talk to us about leadership. Did they know anything about her experience before that first meeting? No, the very first time that we did it, we had uh, we had a really special group uh, of guys. And uh, Cody Letts, Dominic Solly, Mike Hernandez. Uh, Mike Hernandez, Cornell, and he's a doctor now. Yes, correct me if I'm yes, wrong. UCLA Medical School. Um, and uh, Drew LaVoyce. So Drew LaVoyce, he's an engineer now. Um, Mike Hernandez is in medical school at UCLA. Uh, Dom is in the entertainment and the concert industry and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And Cody Letts is a, a, fire, a firefighter. Uh, and um, uh, that group, I think, was like a special group from the very beginning. And their ties to together to their relationship with each other, but also their leadership to the team was amazing. You, I could I could point out each one of those guys that the things that they did, and how they influenced younger players, and how they drew guys in, based on things that uh, Pam was kind of telling them, guiding them, and all that kind of stuff. Like made all the difference in the world and put us going in the right direction. The success we had, like you know, remember early, you know, my my first year, I think we were nine and four, I think, or something. And Michael Herrick was a senior, Shane Vereen was a junior, and we were nine and four and went to the semis, I believe. I think we lost to Canyon in the semis, but um, we, we were pretty good. But then we dropped dramatically. We went to two and eight. You know, I had Shane Vereen as a senior, and, and we still go two and eight, you know. But a lot of that was the all the intangible things that I knew. I was like, okay, we got to fix this. We still got to start going in the right direction. Um, and, um, so that was a big step in us kind of like, all right, the leadership in the, in all the influence, the, the leadership, good leadership can have on your team was going to be really, really important. Now, going back 10 league championships in a row for you guys, five CIF finals. I asked you a couple of years ago about having the CIF championship elude you. You've got all these league championships and, and, and a lot of people, the, the critics out there, well, they haven't won. They don't, they don't have the ring. And you told me that, yeah, it would be great, but it's more important for you to build and mold kids to grow up to be engineers, to go to medical school, to do all of that. Would you be satisfied when you finally hang up your whistle with no championships? I know you want one, but can Larry Muir hang his head? you know, walk around and say, you know, I'm okay with that because of the impact I've made. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. There's two parts. Uh, one part is, you know, it, it's to me, it's the influence you have on the kids and, and, and 
the right influence you have on the kids and driving what it means to be successful, learning to under sacrifice, learning to understand that it's not about you. It's about the next guy about you, but, but applying that to their lives. If there's, if there's some kind of foundation of values that we can help their families are, are obviously going to be the main deal there. We're just going to hopefully support that. But if I can get them to understand, if it's not about you, then you understand that as someday as a husband, someday as a dad, someday as a engineer, someday as a doctor, that it's not about you. It's about the guy next to you. It's about the job that you have and the responsibility you have and the responsibility that you have towards your wife, towards your kids, towards whatever in your community. That's, that is, that is the goal. That is the number one deal. That's the, for me, that's always been number one because that's what I got out of athletics. Um, um, Jim Ozella at heart was my, uh, he coached me in football and in baseball. And the reason why I teach and coach, uh, is because of him. And so he had a big influence on me, uh, when I was growing up and if I had tough times with my family and things were going on, he was always a positive driving voice, uh, voice for me. Um, hopefully that's what I, that's like the main thrust of what we do. Now, the, the, the other part of that, the part two is just no way around it for me is the competitive nature of who you are. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like you're, you're competitive and you, and you can't, I don't think you can deny that. Like you can't like suppress that. The bottom line is I want to beat you. Like right. I want to win yeah. Like period. And I, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I do like, it is how I feel. Like I, if I, if I play you in checkers, I want to beat you. Like well, I'm, I'm going to beat you. I don't think people get into athletics and say, Hey, Hey, I'll, let's get our kids together. Coaching staff guys. You know what? I hope we go three and seven this year. And, and it's just to teach values. Now, Sometimes and, and there's values in lo- in losing, but sometimes I've I've heard I've learned enough values in losing. Yeah. <laughs> I, want to, I want to learn them in winning. So, um, am I okay with it? On, I will always be okay with it as long as I'm I'm coaching the kids, uh, to do the right thing and become better. And if the kids tell me like, "Hey, coach," and they come back and say, "Hey, I learned so much from you, and I've learned so much from this program, and all that kind of stuff," then I'm good. But the competitive part of me. Yeah, I want one. And even when I go to a Valencia game and I see everybody on the sidelines from yesteryear, all these kids that come back that are not kids anymore, that's got to be really satisfying for you as well. Love it. That, that's, the, that's the best thing I had. Um, I've had so many kids. I mean, there's, the problem is there's too, too many to name, but we have a, a for a Thursday night dinner, sometimes we invite alumni back. And we had a, a kid that played here, Justin Sun, who was a, a linebacker here. I can't remember, like 2012 or 13 or something. And um, to hear his story about um, uh, going away to college in Michigan, a small school in Michigan, but he's been to Europe, he's been to uh, Korea, he's been all over the world, and and um, he's back now working back out here. And and um, but but seeing where he's gone and what he's do- what he's doing and all that kind of stuff, there's nothing better. And then he tells me about other kids that are his friends that you know are doing other things and. Um, Nothing better than if you know on Friday night when you come out and you come out from the locker room or from the uh, the fence line, you gotta get to the sideline and you're gonna pass, you know, this player, that player, and I want to stop and talk to them and see like, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you up to? Like, what's going on? And uh, there's nothing better. I was we, oh, a couple of weeks ago. We, I was walking down after the game, and purely by chance, I was walking by a group of three or four guys, and they were players that played for us in the late '90s, and I didn't recognize them in the beginning. When I was like, what the heck? And and there were guys that uh, that had uh, played for us back in the uh, late '90s, and it was great. And I was, you know, give a big old hug and what's going on? What are you guys doing? And 
there's nothing better than that for, uh, for me. Um, and, and I think that's why a, a lot of people get into this um, and go through some of the players that you had, the the Manuel Whites, the Michael Herricks, the Shane Moraleses, the Vereens, the Cops, the Manfros, Tedrick Thompson, and, and you see that. And, and I think for a lot of people, that's why we get into doing this. It's mm-hmm. Nobody's going to remember, hey, Coach Muir, what that third game in 2004 in your non-league schedule, do you remember? Now, you may remember the score. I can't even remember what I had for dinner last night. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You remember, it's, it's about people. Like I said, like at the end of the day, it's going to be about people and what uh, – your relationship with them. And, and you don't always have great relationships because, you know, football is a hard sport and, and there's a lot of guys that when they leave here, you don't hear from again, uh, but you kind of hopefully hear through people or whatever. But uh, it's always um, uh, an awesome thing to kind of see the success that they have and that you hopefully maybe you have like a little tiny influence in it. And, um, and it's even more surprising when they say, you know, that maybe it was even more than just a little bit. So. Cool. This season, tough non-league. You guys win your first two, lose your your next three. You are now three and zero in league. What did you change after that fifth non-league game to get you guys back on the right track? I think we had to really evaluate, and that was a great thing about playing the teams that we played is that we had to really do some self-evaluation, especially for me on the offensive side. Um, we, you know, we're last few years we've been a really no huddle fast, no huddle team. And we decided we were going to slow it down a little bit that this team, I think it was better for us if we were a little bit um, slowed, slowed it down. And I think that has been, I think whether you go fast or offense or you go slow, it doesn't matter. What matters is if you have rhythm, offense is about rhythm. And if you can create rhythm, whether it's through calm plays and it takes a little bit of time, or you're going super fast, if your kids aren't in rhythm, you're going to struggle. And there's nothing worse for us. We were going three and out. And if we're going three and out on, on the ball fast, man, it's like 20 seconds and we're off the field again and our defense is back on the field. And that was one of the big things at Calabasas. We played Calabasas and, man, we were, uh, you know, three and out, three and out, three and out. And our defense was just on the field from, you know, 10 play drives and stuff. So um, we adjusted a little bit on that. Um, when you do that, too, with your play calling, uh, sometimes when you go no huddle, you're, you're, you're limited a little bit uh, because you have to call it fast and it has to be relatively simple. Um, and you're limited to what, how many plays you can call. Like your call sheet sometimes could be like 14 plays or 12 plays or something, and you just call those super fast or whatever. But um, when you slow it down a little bit, then you can, there's more in your playbook. There's more things that you can take advantage of. If I see that corner is off, before it would be hard, a little bit harder to take advantage of, but now I can see, like, okay, that card is pointed this way. I can now call this because I see it. Okay. Now, you mentioned that two and eight year, and I'm, I'm going to end with this. It's, we're going back a little bit. And, you know, I was getting text messages from Pam and, and you guys were just getting beat. And, and I came up with my infamous Vikings comment. I said, the Vikings are playing like the Vikings. Did you? Yeah, I did. And I caught a lot of heat for that. And Did you? Yeah, from you too. And, did and, I? Yeah, and your wife and the administration. We're over that now, right? We, we, we've moved on. We've moved on. <laughs> well, you know what, Robbie? I, Robbie, I'm looking, Robbie. I, Let's talk Robbie Waters for a minute. Robbie has been with you for a long time. Uh, Robbie Waters, I'm telling you, man, uh, is people have no idea how good he is. Um, a guy that was in our program when I came here in 96, he was a senior and um, he got into coaching and he helped like with the freshman and he was going to school and he was coaching on the side. And 
and he was slowly kind of working his way up. But the one thing you saw in him from the very, very, very beginning, he was so detailed. That guy is so detailed in what there's nothing that he that's that's left for, for chance with him. So his pre- preparation was so unbelievable. And but because he's that way, he was going to learn like he learned so fast about how offenses work and how to how to counter them and, and different things like that. And um, over time, if I was ever going to go to the offensive side of the ball, you know, there needed to be a, a defense court. So when we worked together, man, he was by the last year or two, he was his brain was much ahead, was getting ahead of mine. You could see he was kind of coming up with things where, hey, we should try this and this makes sense. And it wasn't just kind of random suggestions. It was he was he had done the research and he'd done the prep work and he and he knew like, OK, this if we try this, this is going to help us. So this is this is going to be better for us. And he was ahead of me on that. And that was like one of the things that got, that got me to offense was to be able to say, like, hey, Simon, like Coach Waters is ready. Like he's this guy's this guy's special. Like he can coach and he knows how to run a defense. So that's what pushed me to the offense and allowed me to go offense. And then he took over the defense. And so our relationship going forward, when I became the head coach, it was, he and I look, we just, we think the same way because we kind of grew up in it together and both of us kind of grew up under Steinman, but um, our brains just work the same way and our approach works the same way. And I think our standards are, are very similar. And so there's never a moment where, he and I could get mad at each other. He and I can yell at each other and he yells at me and I yell at him or, or we're kind of going through things or it doesn't matter. Like we, we think the same way. So we'll be able to figure it out. This, we'll be able to figure it out together. Um, and then uh, with someone that you've been together with for, you know, essentially 20, 25 years almost. Yeah, exactly. That uh, there's nothing better. You know, uh, I've seen him from when he was a senior in high school to, he gets married and, you know, he's expecting this. Now he's going to be a dad. Yeah, yeah that's like, awesome. Like, there's nothing better than that. Like, nothing better than that. Well, Larry, I want to thank you for taking the time, for inviting me into your classroom here today. You're and always welcome here. I, a lot of people don't say that. <laughs> but, no, it's 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 been an absolute pleasure. I We've never really got to sit down and and, and talk at in depth about anything. And, and seriously, I, I thank you. You know, wish you guys the continued good luck through the rest of the season. Maybe someday you'll coach with me. Golf. <laughs> golf. We, we will coach golf together. Right. Um, if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it. We're available on all the directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com or at Believe Podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on the show, let me know via Twitter at Tony Moskal or email TonyMoskal at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us here on Believe, and until the next time, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.